Welcome back to Disney Dependent. I'm Sarah Chilcott. And I am the sound of haunting harmonies and mental health. Woo! (laughs) You took so long deliberating on what you were going to say, and Uh, that's what you came up with? Yeah. I'm an artist. All right. I'm an artist. I'm here. I'm queer. No, I'm not queer. But I am here. You're here. You're here. It's about 90 degrees. We'll get to that, guys. Everyone relax. Did I have a pop score earlier today? I did. Did it break in half? It did. (laughs) Did I have to eat it on a Zoom call in front of my business partners? Yes. Did Did you have to? No. No. (laughs) And did I have to finish the broken half like a creep in my hand without the popsicle stick? (laughs) Yeah, that sounds good, guys. This year's earnings are going to be good. Well, I ate a Del Taco burrito in the car on the way here. Oof. Yeah. Are you going to be farting this little room? I'm not going to be well later. (laughs) I haven't had Del Taco, I was going to say in a Coons age, but I think it's kind of a racist thing. I I know it is. It's got to be. 100%. Because I don't know what that means. No, but that's just something you heard as a kid and probably said as a kid. Because It's safe to assume that any of that old-timey shit yeah. is leaning. It's dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. So. No, I hadn't had Del Taco in forever either. Um, it, was it good? It was actually really good. Is it like Taco Bell good or is it? Yeah. Okay, it's like so Taco it's the Bell same. Good. Yeah. Garbage food, but good. Absolutely. And $1.79 for a burrito. What's the one in California? It was Del Taco. Del Taco. Yeah. And then there's Taco Del Mar. Right. And that's a good one. That's better. Although they got lame. Oh, really? They used to be so good. The only like typical California thing I think I've recently had would be In-N-Out. Yeah. I don't remember anything else. Yeah. In-N-Out's overrated. I think it's properly rated. I love it. Really? Yeah. I think it's a solid burger. I think the burgers are fine. Here's where the you try on the suck. fries. I disagree. The fries are lame. They're they're definitely weird. Yeah. I yeah. I mean they're a little like styrofoamy. Styrofoamy. Yeah. yeah. That's a good way to describe them. But the milkshakes are good. <clears throat> um before we move too far into this podcast, I have a little thing for everyone, okay? Thank you. Wait for it to pay off. Aww. Rest in peace, Sinead O'Connor. She died today. Oh my god, I didn't know that. Yeah. Aww. 56, I do believe. Shit. Yeah, uh, cause of death is not clear yet. Suspecting. Uh, If I were a betting man. Yeah. It's probably self-inflicted. But I don't know, and I don't want to. No. Say oh, that that's awful. 56? It's how her child died. Not that long ago. A year ago. Yeah, like a year ago. Oh, well, that explains some things, because that's well, where she, I'd be probably, She has been a, a wreck her whole life mentally. Yeah. And addiction and, yeah, the whole thing. God. She got very famous and very successful very young. And Man. she also came from a very Irish Catholic restrictive environment. Mm-hmm. Um, she had severe PTSD. Yeah. From stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Whoa. Bipolar. Shit, man, when she was, she was so good. Voice of an angel. Very shrill. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. The voice of a shrill, beautiful angel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like a little Irish sprite. Well, that's crazy because the, the woman from the Cranberries was a few years ago and it was... Similar vibes. Similar vibes. Yeah. I. What was her cause? Was that... Drugs, I believe maybe? it was an overdose or alcohol overdose kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but I think she drowned. Oh, God. Alone in a hotel room. Ugh. Yeah, I mean... Yeah. It's like Whitney. Fully, yeah. like, healthy adults don't just drown. That doesn't happen no. very often. Right. You have to be pretty... Pretty yeah. fucked up. Unfortunately. Well, here's to you, Sinead. Yeah. Slantra. Slant, as Dad would say, cilantro. Cilantro. Here's to you. Well, in a different shift of mood. Ah, oh, God, ah, this just in. It's 82 and sunny at not Disneyland. And it's still 92 degrees and sunny at Disneyland. Woo. So the last two weeks we covered the 1941 animator strike. Mm. And it kind of ended with Walt stewing a bit over the labor struggles and the Damn commies and all of that fun stuff. As he should. <laughs> Damn commies. <laughs> <laughs> so this week, we're talking about what happened next, about six years later, Ooh. when Walt was called to testify before the House on american Activities Committee. Okay. Okay. By the way, before we begin, I've been, I've been doing some deep dives on the writer's slash actors union strikes that are happening right now yeah and um obviously this is why ashley chose to cover this but it's it's pretty crazy man it's fucked mm-hmm. uh yeah if you look at the earnings of a lot of the studios netflix disney included they can afford it yeah that's coming from a pretty pro business guy they definitely can afford it my default is to always take the business the company side yes <laughs> <laughs> I, I always take their side and I I take it from like as a business owner, you're the one with the risk, you're funding this stuff, you're the one putting up the money, you're employing people. There's a lot of risk involved to be an owner. However, doing my research, it does seem pretty uh pretty messed up, man. Yeah. It's pretty messed up. They're not asking for a whole lot. They really honestly are just asking for whatever was standard prior to all that. Mm-hmm. So as the industry changes, so should the the uh, the shares of the the earnings. I was trying to find. I saw a post this morning that Disney is refusing to pay. Yeah. And uh, well, Bob Iger is very publicly criticizing of yeah of the strikers. Yeah. yeah, he thinks they're being unreasonable. And yeah, and I think that there's a compromise of course to be made in just about anything. <laughs> if you look at his salary and his bonuses. And then compare that to the average writer. To see, that's Bob Iger's thing. That's part of what I love about him is he's coming at it from a value mm-hmm. standpoint. Like the directors, I think there's a separate directors union or the directors guild, maybe is what it's called. They had had negotiations a couple of years ago and he was defending them. Like, well, they add, you can't do anything without them. You know, they add a value, mm-hmm. but it's like, yeah, but you wouldn't have any content at all without writers. Right. <laughs> Until AI takes over. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I think that's part of the problem. It's definitely part of the problem. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, but no one, I mean, that's the thing is art. I'm not too worried about the AI thing. I don't think people want art from AI. 
That sounds like a dystopian hellhole I don't want to be around for. I think it's a very rea- real reality in the near future. Oh, for sure. No, it's yeah. it's coming. I mean, people are already... People I know, my employee uses chat GPT all the time for our business. Yeah. all the time. All the time. This and just makes me want to go get a bunker. Dude, it's crazy. I want to check out, you know? <laughs> he just typed in like a year's worth of numbers and dates and asked chat gbt to like distill all that mm-hmm. and it did it didn't give him like a complete accurate answer but it, it led him it saved him a ton of time right pretty crazy yeah i mean the idea that like ai can i guess quote unquote read um yeah. tons of scripts by particular writers and then make something based on that style is yeah. the scariest part Agreed. And, you know, like, to be able to write it in Quentin Tarantino's voice is scary. It is. I don't think they're there yet, but it's not far off. Yeah, I mean, what is your, just as a, I know, Ash, we have a lot to get through, but what as a thought exercise, what do you, would you be okay with watching a movie, let's say it's as good as Quentin Tarantino movie. Mm-hmm. Do you, would you rather watch a Quentin Tarantino movie or a an AI script and then actors just act it out. It's oh, all, no. it's all the mean, same. I'd rather watch the one that is made by a human. Yeah. But I don't know that we're going to know the difference at some point. Right. Yeah. It's, it's messed up. Mm-hmm. Well, like everything, it's common. Whether right. we want it let's to or not. Let's move to Mars. So, yeah, let's move to Mars. Sounds good to me. <laughs> well, speaking of scary, we're going to talk about some background for where Walt was, where the world was at this time before I get too far into it. Okay. Okay. So after World War II and into the Cold War era, America was consumed by fear of the Russian Red Menace. It was believed that at any given moment, Soviet communists could attack the American people before we even had a chance to duck and cover. Right. And these were not just the external threats. In their paranoid minds, commies lurked around every corner. James, is that you? <laughs> yes. They could be your next-door neighbor, your grocery clerk, your child's teacher, or possibly your studio animators. Also, if it were half of those people you just named, it, do you care if your grocery clerk is a communist? Back then, yes, you did. Very much so. Right. I don't think I would. Yeah. And they are. <laughs> Unless they're, like, trying to yeah, turn the, the cashier experience into communism. Isn't it weird imagine. that there was a time when Russia was unpredictable and like trying to start isn't shit. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. That so long ago, back in the olden days when Russia was kind of yeah. nuts. Yeah, it's hard to imagine. Being led by bad people and yeah. God, I'm so glad things have changed. <sighs> what, a, what a difference of 70 years makes. <laughs> Made 80. zero progress. Great. So leading the charge against the Red Scare was Senator Joe McCarthy. Mm, what a guy. Uh, who capitalized on the countrywide paranoia for his own personal gains. He was at the helm of the infamous witch hunt known as the House on American Activities Committee. Publicized congressional hearings that attempted to suss out Communist Party sympathizers throughout mainstream America. One of the hardest hit industries was Hollywood, the fear being that the film industry had a great deal of influence over the American zeitgeist and could subtly and indelibly sway good, wholesome Americans into the ways of the evil communist. (laughs) 
The animation industry was not immune to this scrutiny. Many animators lost their livelihood due to their alleged communist sympathies. Merely suggesting a person was a communist was enough to get that person fired and blacklisted for years in the entertainment industry. Think of all the petty shit you've ever done at work. It's I can't endless. talk I mean, about it. Can it's you imagine amount. that bossy know-it-all Debbie back in the office? She's never liked you for God knows what reason. Right. <laughs> so maybe she suggests that you have communist sympathies and... I don't know. Maybe your second cousin is in a labor union. You're fucked. Yeah. Is there anything even comparable to, to that now? I, I guess you could argue like some cancel culture e type things, but it's not even close. Not close. No. It's not like government sanctioned. No. I, I mean, it's kind of like calling someone a pedophile. <laughs> it's like. Right. Right. Suggesting that they've done the worst thing and. Yeah. They're mm-hmm. dangerous. Hmm. I'm pretty sure our cats are pedophiles. Okay. <laughs> no, no. Let's elaborate. The window. Elaborate on that. I just think they like to molest things younger than them. That's all. Like what? There's nothing younger than them in this house. I'm just saying it's a feeling. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> I've got a suspicion. <laughs> so this brings us back to Walt Disney's place in all of this. Walt himself was called before the House Un-American Activities Committee as a, quote, friendly witness in 1947. A friendly witness was demonstrably opposed to communism and is ready and willing to name names, as opposed to unfriendly witnesses that were there to be interrogated. Ah, I see what they did there. The 1947 committee called 23 other friendly witnesses, most of which were part of the Motion Picture Alliance for the Preservation of American Ideals, an anti-communist, pro-free enterprise political group. Right. It's a lot of words. It's a lot of words. M-P-A-P-A-I. Dude, those kind of like congressional, the like the long names for all their committees, uh-huh. the Congressional Oversight Subcommittee of... It's just too much, man. Too many things. I've been re-listening to the last podcast on the left series on the Yorkshire Ripper. And there's like the group of people that were assigned to find the Yorkshire Ripper. Their acronym spelled out S-H-I-T. So he he keeps calling them the shit squad. And every time Marcus says shit squad, Henry goes. (laughs) Dude, that, that guy was a jerk. Yeah. Piece of shit. I don't think I listened to that one. Oh, he's bad, dude. Okay, um, so the the roster of friendly witnesses called up included Jack Warner of Warner Brothers, mm-hmm. Louis B. Mayer of MGM, film actor Gary Cooper, author Ayn Rand, and Ronald Reagan, then president of the Screen Actors Guild. Oh, no shit. I know someone with a dog named Gary Cooper. Wait, Ronald Reagan was the president of the, the scre- Screen Actors Guild. A yeah. union. Yeah. Wow. He was a union man. <laughs> A guild. (laughs) Our guild. Guild is so much dorkier. Yeah. (laughs) It's like a LARPing kind of thing. Or the actor's guild. (laughs) Shut up. In addition to naming names at the hearings, the friendly witnesses also commented on perceived communist messaging or motifs within the films of the era in order to censor the content. They also advised the committee on whether they believed Hollywood should make anti-communist films to reveal, quote, the dangers and intrigue of the Communist Party here in the United States, and if they believed that the United States should outlaw the Communist Party. 
So all these people are in a room talking about what they think we should all do about that. <laughs> In 1947, the same year of Walt's testimony, the MPA published a guide for film producers that listed some of the subtle communistic touches to avoid in their scripts. These included, don't smear the free enterprise system. Don't smear industrialists. Don't do it. Don't smear wealth. Quote, it is the proper wish of every decent American to stand on his own feet, earn his own living, and be as good as it are good at it as he can. Sure. And don't smear shit. Don't do it. Definitely don't. Don't smear don't it. Don't smear the profit motive. Oh. Don't right. smear success. Don't glorify failure. Don't glorify depravity. Quote, go easy on stories about murderers, perverts, and the rest of that sordid stuff. What? Don't deify the common man. The common man is one of the worst slogans of communism, and too many of us have fallen for it without thinking. Don't ever use any line about the common man or the little people. It's not the American idea to be either common or little. It's very weird. Yes. <laughs> and I don't like any time, you know, there's restrictions on art. Yeah. <laughs> ever. It's yeah. A, it's a bad it's thing. It's pretty un-American. Yeah, it's pretty un-American. That's right. <laughs> for the House Un-American Activities Committee. Sub Subcommittee. <laughs> Congressional. <laughs> okay, back to Walt. He actually wasn't very political in his younger years. Like many Americans these days, he was more of a populist rather than a Democrat or a Republican. But as he grew older, Walt became a highly conservative Republican who, it is said, would bully his animation staff into making campaign contributions to Republican politicians running for office, such as Richard Nixon or Barry Goldwater. Yuck. Mm. He had a big bumper sticker that read, Vote for Goldwater, on his studio golf cart. And when he received the Medal of Freedom from President Johnson in 1964, Walt apparently wore a Goldwater button under his lapel that he allegedly mischievously flashed to the chief executive, a Democrat. Hell yeah. I like that. <laughs> Many believe it was the infamous animator strike of 1941, an internal studio upheaval that he took deeply personally that permanently soured Walt on his early liberal beliefs. During the strike, Walt went so far as to take out an ad in Variety, the industry trade paper, avowing, I am positively convinced that communistic agitation leadership and activities have brought about the strike. Animator Ward Kimball, who didn't go on the strike but stayed inside the Disney studio as part of the management, told Disney historian and author Jim Corcus that Walt was calling the strikers communists was just typical Walt overkill. You know what I don't understand either? I, and maybe you can help me here. I've never understood the, like, calling someone a communist isn't... Like... They're not an or what am I trying to say? Like it's not it doesn't mean anything. If if you're if you're striking and you're just a group of employees in this case, so what if you are? You know what I mean? It, you're not a vampire. Like, they were at the time. That's my point. It's it's ridiculous. It's stupid. It's it's absurd and it's un-American. Like even if they were registered communists and they were meeting in back you know, houses and having communist parties and they were card-carrying communists. Who cares? What difference does it make? Right. I don't really understand Same. I don't. I really don't understand. It, I mean, it's one thing, like, if it were communists in the American government that were trying to change the capitalist 
way of doing business and commerce. That's one thing. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about individual people. With individual beliefs. Individual beliefs. You can criticize it. I think Walt had a right or anyone in this on the opposition has a right to say, those are bad ideas. I'm going to debate your ideas. But to just call them a communist, it basically they're just saying you're a bad person. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's the moral. I That's what I hate about even, even more today than anything. Like just calling someone a a Biden supporter or something, you're what you're really saying is you're a bad person or you're you're a MAGA because you voted for Trump. It's like, but I don't even know what any of that means. It was an easy way of discrediting Weird. someone. Exactly. And it's the kind of sweeping generalization that everyone does. Yeah, and unfortunately we we do it now, if not more than ever. Now, now more, more than, than ever. ever. <laughs> In these trying times. <laughs> Buy Tampax. Every COVID commercial. Yeah. Ever. Okay, yes. And these more now more than ever. Preparation H ever. is here for you. Yeah. <laughs> when you all you want to do is be with your family in these trying times. Try preparation. preparation. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Kimball went on to add, quote, Look, you have to realize that in those days, if you said anything against the status quo, if you were even slightly liberal, you were called a communist. Right. It's still the magic buzzword. If they want to destroy somebody, they say he's a communist. In those days, you were automatically called a communist if you believed in unions. They weren't. Mm -hmm. They were fellow artists who wanted an equitable wage. It's still the case now. Yeah. yeah You're the still, one doing it. You know me. It's <laughs> <laughs> like... <"Dude>, Commies! <laughs> I know. He calls everyone a communist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh. Uh, okay, so in his own estimation, Walt was such a staunch American that anyone going against his grain was thereby un-American. Walt felt betrayed by his boys and decided that the only reason for their betrayal must be outside influences like communist instigators. These were men he trusted for years, and if they all of a sudden were asking for more equitable wage, this is a new side of them that has been cultivated. In reality, all of this is happening simultaneously with the Disney studio finally making a good amount of money, and the animators at the bottom not getting their fair share. Furthermore, Walt was famous for his ability to hold on to a grudge. So much so that six years later, when given the opportunity for a bit of retribution, he happily presented himself to the HUAC, which he did on Friday, October 24th, 1947, amid six newsreel cameras and 30 newspaper photographers in the room. And came riding in on an eagle with an American flag wrapped around his, like a cape. Let's go, boys. Let's go. Okay, so now for the testimony, we're going to read. We're going to act out a scene for y'all. Oh, Ooh. I can't wait. So, Sarah, you're going to be voicing uh, Robert E. Stripling, who is the chief investigator. Okay. And H.A. Smith, another lead investigator. James, you will be playing the parts of the chairman, J. Parnell Thomas, and John McDowell, and I will be Walt. Of course you will. Mr. Disney. Will you state your full name and present address, please? Walter E. Disney, Los Angeles, California. When and where were you born, Mr. Disney? Chicago, Illinois, December 5th, 1901. December 5th, 1901? Yes, sir. What is your occupation? Well, I am a producer of motion picture cartoons. <laughs> Mr. Chairman, the interrogation of Mr. Disney will be done by Mr. Smith. Mr. Smith. 
<laughs> Mr. Disney, how long have you been in that business? Since 1920. You have been in Hollywood during this time? I have been in Hollywood since 1923. At the present time, you own and operate the Walt Disney Studio at Burbank, California? Well, I am one of the owners, part owner. How many people are employed there, approximately? At the present time, about 600. And what is the approximate largest number of employees you have had in the studio? Well, close to 1,400 at times. By the way, he says well so much. <laughs> well. <laughs> well, he does say well a lot. <laughs> well, 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 well. Will you tell us a little about the nature of this particular studio, the type of pictures you make, and approximately how many per year? Well, mainly cartoon films. We make about 20 short subjects and about two features a year. <laughs> Will you talk just a little louder, Mr. Disney? Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> How many did you say? About 20 short subject cartoons and about two features per year. And some of the characters in the films consist of? You mean such as Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck and Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs and <clears throat> things of that sort? Where are these films distributed? All over the world. In all countries of the world? Well, except the Russian countries. Damn straight. Why, <laughs> why aren't they distributed in Russia, Mr. Disney? Well, we can't do business with them. Yeah. What do you mean by that? <laughs> oh, well, we have sold them some films a good many years ago. They bought The Three Little Pigs in 1933 and used it through Russia. And they looked at a, a lot of our pictures, and I think they ran a lot of them in Russia, but then turned them back to us and said they didn't want them. It didn't suit their purposes. Is the dialogue in these films translated into various foreign languages? Yes. On one film, we did ten foreign versions. That was Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Have you ever made any pictures in your studio that contained propaganda and that were propaganda fil films? Well, during the war we did. We made quite a few working with different government agencies. We did one for the Treasury on taxes, and I did four anti-Hitler films, and I did one on my own for air power. From those pictures that you made, have you any opinion as to whether or not the films can be used effectively to disseminate propaganda? Yes, I think they proved that. How do you arrive at that conclusion? Well, <laughs> well, <laughs> on the one for the Treasury on taxes, it was to let the people know that taxes were important in the war effort. Sounds like a commie, by the way. Uh, yeah. yeah. As they explained to me, they had 13 million new taxpayers, people who had never paid taxes, and they explained that it would be impossible to, per to prosecute all those that were delinquent. And they wanted to put this story before those people so they would get their taxes in early. I made the film, and after the film had its run, the Gallup Poll organization polled the public, and the findings were that 29% of the people admitted that had influenced them in getting their taxes in early and giving them a picture of what taxes will do. Aside from those pictures you made during the war, have you made any other pictures, or do you permit pr pictures to be made at your studio containing propaganda? No, we never have. During the war, we thought it was a different thing. It was the first time we ever allowed anything like that to go into the films. We watch so that nothing gets into the films that would be harmful in any way to any group or any country. We have a large audience of children in different groups, and we try to keep them as free from anything that would offend anybody as possible. We work hard to see that nothing of that sort creeps in. Do you have any people in your studio at the present time that you believe are communist or fascist employed there? No. At the present time, I feel that everybody in my studio is 100% American. Have you had, at any time in your opinion, in the past, have you at any time in the past had any communists employed at your studio? 
Yes. In the past, I had some people that I definitely feel were communists. Starts crying. As a matter of fact, Mr. Disney, you experienced a strike at your studio, did you not? Yes. And is it your opinion that the strike was instituted by members of the Communist Party to serve their purposes? Well, it proved itself so with time, and I definitely feel it was a communist group trying to take over my artists, and they did take them over. Do you say they did take them over? They did take them over. Will you explain that to the committee, please? It came to my attention when a delegation of my boys, my artists, came to me and told me that Mr. Herbert Sorrell... Is that Herbert K. Sorrell? Herbert K. Sorrell was trying to take them over. I explained to them that it was none of my concern that I had been cautioned to not even talk with my boys on labor. They said it was not a matter of labor. It was just a matter of them not wanting to go with Sorrel, and they had heard that I was going to sign with Sorrel. And they said that they wanted an election to prove that Sorrel didn't have the majority, and I said that I had a right to demand an election. So when Sorrel came, I demanded an election. Sorrel wanted me to sign a bunch of cards that he had there that he claimed were the majority, but the other side had claimed the same thing. I had told Mr. Sorrel that there is only one way for me to go, and that was an election, and that is what the law had set up. The National Labor Relations Board was for that purpose. He laughed at me, and he said that he would use the Labor Board as it suited his purposes, (laughs) and that he had been sucker enough to go for that Labor Board ballot, and he had lost some election. I can't remember the name of the place. By one vote. He said it took him two years to get it back. He said he would strike, that that was his weapon. He said, I have all the tools of the trade sharpened. That I couldn't stand the ridicule or the smear of a strike. I told him that it was a matter of principle with me, that I couldn't go on working with my boys, feeling that I had sold them down the river on him to him on his say-so. And he laughed at me and told me I was naive and foolish. He said, you can't take this strike. I will smear you. I will make a dust bowl of your plant. What was that? He said he would make a dust bowl out of my plant if he chose to. I told him I would have to go that way. Sorry that he might be able to do all that, but I would have to stand on that. The result was that he struck. I believe at that time that Mr. Sorrell was a communist because all the things that I had heard and having seen his name appearing on a number of commie front things. When he pulled the strike, the first people to smear me and put me on the unfair list were all of the commie front organizations. I can't remember them all, they change so often, but one that is clear in my mind is the League of Women Shoppers, the People's World, the Daily Worker, and the PM Magazine in New York. They smeared me. Nobody came near to find out what the true facts of the thing were. And I even went through the same smear in South America, through some commie periodicals in South America, and generally throughout the world, all of the commie groups began smear campaigns against me and my pictures. In what fashion was that smear, Mr. Disney? What type of smear? A pap smear. That's going to say smear. That's all I thought. Well, they distorted everything. They lied. There was no way you could ever counteract anything that they did. They formed picket lines in front of the theaters, and, well, they called my plant a sweatshop. And that is not true. And anybody in Hollywood would prove it otherwise. They claimed things that were not true at all, and there was no way you could fight it back. It was not a labor problem at all, because, I mean, I have never had labor trouble, and I think that would be backed up by anyone in Hollywood. In other words, Mr. Disney, communists out there smeared you because you wouldn't knuckle under? I wouldn't go along with their way of operating. I insisted on it going through the National Labor Relations Board, and he told me outright that he used them as it suited his purposes. Supposing you had 
given in to him, then what would have been the outcome? Well, <laughs> I would say well a lot. He does say well a lot. Well, I would never have given in to him because it was a matter of principle with me, and I fight for principles. My boys have been there, have grown up in the business with me, and I didn't feel like I could sign them over to anybody. They were vulnerable at the time. They were not organized. It is a new industry. How many labor unions, approximately, do you have operating in your studios at the present time? Well, we operate with around 35. I think we have contacts with 30. At the time of the strike, you didn't have any grievances or labor troubles whatsoever in your plant? No. The only real <laughs> grievance was between Sorrel and the boys within my plant. They demanded an election and they never got it. Do you recall having had any conversations with Mr. Sorrel relative to communism? Yes, I do. Will you relate that conversation? Well, I didn't pull my punches on how I felt. He evidently heard that I had called them all a bunch of communists, and I believe they are. At the meeting, he leaned over and he said, You think I'm a communist, don't you? And I told him that all I knew was what I heard and what I had seen. And he laughed and said, Well, I used their money to finance my strike of 1937. And he said that he had gotten the money through the personal check of some actor, but he didn't name the actor. I didn't go into it any further. I just listened. Can you name any other individuals that were active at the time of the strike that you believe, in your opinion, are communists? Well, I feel that there is one artist in my plant that came in there. He came in around 1938, and he sort of stayed in the background. He wasn't too active, but he was the real brains of this, and I believe he is a communist. His name is David Hilberman. He is very paranoid. Yes. Sheesh. How is it spelled? H-I-L-B-E-R-M-A-N, I believe. I looked into his record and I found that, number one, that he had no religion. <gasps> and number two, that he had spent considerable time at the Moscow no. Art Theater studying art direction or something. <laughs> Any others, Mr. Disney? Well, I think Sorrel is sure tied up with them. Mm. If he isn't a communist, he sure should be one. Do you remember the name of William Pomerantz? Did he have anything to do with it? Yes, sir. He came in later. Sorrel put him in charge as business manager of cartoonists, and later he went to the screen actors as their business agent. And in turn, he put in another man by the name of Maurice Howard, the present business agent. They are all tied up with the same outfit. What is your opinion of Mr. Pomerantz and Mr. Howard as to whether or not they are not communists? In my opinion, they are communists. No one has any way of proving those things. Were you able to produce during the strike? Yes, I did, because there was a very few, very small majority that was on the outside, and all the other unions ignored all the lines because of the setup of the thing. What is your personal opinion of the Communist Party, Mr. Disney, as to whether or not it is a political party? Well, I don't believe it is a political party. I believe it is a non-American thing. Damn straight. The thing that I resent the most is that they are able to get into these unions, take them over, and represent to the world that a group of people that are in my plant, that I know are good, 100% Americans, are trapped by this group. They are represented to the world as supporting all of those ideologies, and it is not so. And I feel that they really ought to be smoked out and shown up for what they are, so that all of the good, free causes in this country, all the liberalisms that really are American, can go out with the taint of communism. <laughs> that is my sincere feeling on it. Taint. taint. <laughs> Do you feel that there is a threat of communism in the motion picture industry? Yes, there is. Oof. 
and there are many reasons why they would like to take it over or get in and control it or disrupt it, but I don't think they have gotten very far. And I think the industry is made up of good Americans, just like in my plant, good, solid Americans. Hell yeah. My boys have been fighting it longer than I have. They are trying to get out from under it, and they will in time if we can just show them up. There are presently pending before this committee two bills <clears throat> relative to outlawing the Communist Party. What thoughts have you as to whether or not those bills should be passed? Why are they asking him this? I know. Okay. Because that's, I mean, they were. Yeah. Uh, well. But why? He's not an expert on this. <laughs> this is, these are the experts that they they brought in. Sure. What do they call them? Good witnesses? or Yeah. Um, friendly. Friendly. Yeah. Well, I don't know as a, I qualify to speak on that. I feel if the thing can be proven un-American, then it ought to be outlawed. I think the some in some way it should be done without interfering with the rights of the people. I think that will be done. I have that faith. Without interfering. I mean, with the good American rights that we all have now and we want to preserve. Have you any suggestions to offer us as to how the industry can be helped in fighting this menace? Well... I think there is a good start toward it. <laughs> so many welds. <laughs> I know that I have been handicapped out there in fighting it because they have been hiding behind this labor setup. They get themselves closely tied up in the labor thing so that if you try to get rid of them, they make a labor case out of it. Mm. We must keep the American labor unions clean. We have got to fight for them. Mr. Disney, you're the fourth producer we have, we have had as a witness. And each one of those four producers said, generally speaking, the same thing. And that is that the communists have made inroads, have attempted inroads. I just want to point that out because there seems to be a very strong unanimity among the producers that have testified before us. In addition to producers, we have had actors and writers testify to the same. There is no doubt but what the movies are probably the greatest medium for entertainment in the United States and in the world. I think you, as a creator of entertainment, probably are one of the greatest examples in the profession. I want to congratulate you on the form of entertainment which you have given the American people and given the world and congratulate you for taking time out to come here and testify before this committee. He, ha he has been very helpful. Thank you very much, Mr. Disney. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> what a fucking shit show. What was... Wow. First of all, he says, well. So many times. So many times. Actually, let me see how many times. Control <laughs> F. <laughs> well, 23 times. Wow. Yeah, he is like so paranoid. I mean, I know it's like he said, she said, or he said, yes. they said. Yeah. But he has a very different view of how that entire thing went. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. I still don't understand the point of the hearing. Is for him to say, I think that these certain people are communists. Mm -hmm. Well, that was the point for him to testify. But what was the point of the hearing? That. Just to, Name just to names hear from people. And what do you think about the industry and what communism is doing to the industry? But some of the questions, like the person that you were reading, Sarah, he seemed almost like, like he was challenging Disney often. Mm -hmm. Or is he just doing I think that? he's just prompting discussion. Just prompting him. To shit on communists. Yes, that, exactly. Yeah. To shit on the idea that there potentially maybe might be sort of communists in the Disney company. But it's not, it's not a labor problem. It's right. not a labor problem. Sure. Right. Because you don't have to, 
address their real grievances if they're just communists, right? All he wanted to do was to have a fair election with the Labor Relations Union Board. That's it. Or whatever. What I don't remember, but what were they... When they were striking, what did they actually want? What they was just the wanted to form a union. Okay, so right, because they weren't actually negotiating anything at that point. Well, that's wacky, and, you know, it's complicated, but Walt Disney was not a perfect man, as we know. No, yeah, and, and he was very much caught up in that whole thing, Yeah, as everyone in that time seemed to have been. And it happens all the time, man. It's happening now. Like, what side you on? Yawn. You're on the left, you're on the right. Are you woke? Are you not woke? Are you mystery? That it's so stupid. So dumb. Agreed. Humans are complicated. I am neither liberal or conservative. I thought you were gonna say I am not complicated. I am a very (laughs) you know, like basic bitch. Basic ass bitch, man. (laughs) In many ways I am. I love pop music. I love iced coffees. You have your toenails painted? I have my toenails painted. Well, according to Jim Corcus, quote, Disney's testimony hurt several people, in particular Hilberman. After the strike, Hilberman Mm. left the studio and helped found the animation studio UPA and later his own animation studio Tempo with William Pomerantz, which produced animation for television commercials. In 1953, the new counterattack, an anti-communist newsletter, dug up Walt's testimony and gave the material to newspaperman Walter Winchell, who printed it in his newspaper column, and within one day, all advertising agencies withdrew their work from Tempo, and the company was destroyed. Damn. See? Literally, Walt's testimony destroyed Hilberman and Pomerantz, as they were blacklisted in red channels, a listing of unacceptable people to be employed. That's the problem with... Taking that moral high ground, you know, like if if you just call someone something, it's not fair because now it's on you. It's on the person to defend themselves. Right. Like someone, I call you a racist publicly. Right. Well, now you have to show that you're not a racist. Exactly. It sucks. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's not fair. And I just wish people knock that shit off, but they won't. Well, Jim Corcus continues, quote, In later years, most historians believe that the real villain of the Disney strike was the head of the Disney studio legal department, old Gunny, Gunny Gunther Uh, Lessing, Gunther, who gave Walt misleading and selective advice about unions and how to handle them. It is interesting to note that after the strike, Lessing's influence over Walt diminished greatly and continued to do so. Mm. Um, Lead instigator Art Babbitt, remember Art? I do. He later said, quote, Walt and Roy Disney were called American Firsters. They believe that there is a communist behind every tree, every bush, and so on. Everyone who didn't agree with Walt's way of doing things was a communist. Mm. One time when I tried to get a raise for my assistant, he said, quote, If he was worth it, he'd be getting it. The mm. trouble with you is that you and your communist friends live in a world so small you don't know what's going on around you. And I think a lot of this was coming from Lessing. Mm. The thing that I have a hard time understanding, correct me if I'm wrong here again, guys, but isn't communism about equal distribution of wealth? Yes. So if you're advocating for yourself for the work that you've done privately and you're asking for a raise privately, that's not communist. That's the opposite of communist, right? 
Yeah, if, that, yeah. That would just be regular old capitalism. That's, that's my right. point. I'm negotiating for my my rate. This whole it's just nonsense to be like, well, you know, if you deserved it, you'd have a raise. Right. Like, but that's what I'm talking about. We're, yeah. we're having the conversation right now. We do deserve yeah. it, yeah. and we're forming the union so that we're all on the same team. You may disagree with me that I deserve it or raise. not. Yeah, but I'm here asking for it. Yeah. Right. You know, it's crazy. Um, Jim Corcus further explains, quote, literally hundreds of careers were destroyed. However, the fear of communist influence in the entertainment industry was not totally irrational. And it is important to realize the very real red scare that pervaded everything at the time. And that Walt was testifying because he felt that the communist philosophy was completely un-American. And while I personally don't disagree with him, I'm more inclined to agree with a quote from screenwriter Dalton Trumbo, who is the author of Spartacus and Roman Holiday, um, someone who directly suffered under McCarthy's witch hunts. He said, quote, When you look back at that dark time, as I think occasionally you should, it will do no good to search for villains or heroes or saints or devils because there were none. There were only victims. Trumbo was called to testify in front of the HUAC the very same year that Walt did, but not as a friendly witness. He refused to give the names of colleagues and supposedly communist sympathies and was imprisoned for 11 months. Damn. Whoa. On his release, he was blacklisted and could not work under his own name. God. So this is my friendly reminder to everyone, including myself, to be kind to people and don't fall into the trap of othering other people. We all do it and it does nothing but hurt us all in the end. Amen. Well said. That is so true. Before you do your sources, that I want to want to underline that. That's incredibly true. Yeah. The othering is a problem. It's a problem because if I if I call you a communist or if I call you a whatever a you know an evil Trump supporter, but it, both sides a libtard a libtard. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, now I just it's um. It, virtual virtue virtue signaling is the term i was trying to remember earlier mm-hmm. and that's what that is like you're you're saying that you're um you're just yeah you're not a real person you have no real thoughts of your own and so like if you think about the nazis if you could go back in time and kill adolf hitler most people would say they would or at least stop him because we all agree Nazis are bad, right? And we all nod our head. Right. So if I call you a Nazi, if I start attributing Trump supporters as Nazis mm-hmm. or libtards as communists, then, well, those are bad things. So mm-hmm. you don't have to have a conversation with a Nazi. You just punch him in the face. Right. Or kill them or bomb them or, you know, whatever. Yeah. And that's political violence is kind of getting out of control these days. Also, the name Trumbo is also what I think Trump would be if he were Dumbo. (laughs) He would be Trumbo. Trumbo would be highly offended that you just said that about him. Oh, yeah. That's true. (laughs) Yeah, but he'd also be the greatest Trumbo of all time. (laughs) My sources were Walt Battles the Communists Part 1 by Jim Corcus. And uh, the NYU newsletter. Fantastic. Oh, good job, Ash. Fascinating as always. Reading the whole script of the uh, <laughs> testimony was pretty well. Fun. Well. 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 
Oh, that is fun. I'm not the best reader on air, but I, I do my best. It's a fine well, shit. You're a really worked. good speaker. Like, you enunciate and everything. It's just you panic when you start reading words on paper, <laughs> yeah, yeah. especially if you have to say them out loud. Yeah. And I do, too, for yeah. sure. It, it's something well, it's, that comes with a lot of practice. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Ash does it all the time. She does it all the time. Yeah. I used to have to do it a lot, but not anymore. Was fun, though. And uh, here's to you, Trumbo. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, should we recommend some stuff? Let's do it. Okay. Um, I want to recommend the comedy series. There's only one season so far, but I expect there will be more. It just came out this year called Platonic. It stars Rose Byrne and Seth Rogen. Oh, and yeah. They're like best friends from you know, a decade before. It's it's like current, you were saying? It's current, yeah. yeah. And um, they're, you know, midlife in their 40s or so. And mm-hmm. they have their own lives. They haven't spoken to each other for a long time because there was a little rift. And they reconnect. And it's just, there are some of the most real conversations in this goofy comedy. They're great together, too. They are so good together. Did you ever see the pretty dumb comedy movies, but they're they're really funny and worth watching? Uh, Neighbors? Yeah. Is yeah. it called Neighbors? Mm-hmm. One and two. They're, uh-huh. they're great together. Yeah. Awesome. She is... I did not like her when she first came onto the scene. I was like... Ugh. She's so funny, though. God, she's funny. And yeah. she's so good in this because she plays, like, this housewife mm-hmm. who was a lawyer and has just been raising her kids for the last 10 years and she just kind of feels like she's lost herself which yeah. i think so many moms specifically sure. can relate with yeah and uh you know seth rogan's character will he's a brewer um who's recently been divorced and he's like super hipster they're in la area and it's just it's so funny to see these two people because you all have that person in your life where you were like, you remember when you were a certain way? Yeah. And yeah. now if you were to reconnect with them, it's like that just wouldn't work. Right. But it does because you have that history together. And that sounds awesome. It's great. Is it a Netflix thing? I do believe it's on Netflix. Yeah. Rad. I will definitely check it out. I've been wanting to. Cool. Um, I'm recommending... No, it's Apple TV. Sorry. Okay. Well, we have that as well. Okay. Go ahead. Um, I am recommending a movie called Love and Mercy Ooh. about Brian Wilson and the Beach Boys. Ooh, I love that. Yeah. It's really, really good. Um, Paul Dano. Do you know who that is? Mm -mm. Probably. This this weird dude. He's in like... Oh, yeah, yeah. um, He's great. Yeah, he is good. There Will Be Blood. Uh Uh-huh. He's a... Bizarre actor, but great. Yeah, Little Miss Sunshine. Yeah, he wasn't pl- he the one in the the creepy one with uh, Daniel Radcliffe? Yes, Swiss Army Man. Yes. Swiss Army Man. Yes, yeah. that's a great movie. I forgot about that movie. <laughs> so good. Yeah. Speaking of fart sounds, <laughs> I want to watch that again. Oh, that's a great movie. Anyway, um, yeah, he's a rad actor. So he plays Brian Wilson, young Brian Wilson, like the '60s, and then. John Cusack plays Brian Wilson in the present, more in the 90s, okay. 80s, and 90s. And then Elizabeth Banks yep. plays the the love interest of, of adult version of Brian Wilson, who is, again, it's like the 80s, early 90s, and they got married, and they're still together to this day. Um, and then Paul Giamatti plays Dr. Eugene Landy, who... So, little context... 
uh, Brian Wilson is was and is a very mentally ill person, mm-hmm. like really, really severe um, psychosis. Like hears voices in his head. Yeah. Um, really, really bad stuff, and and was pretty much his whole life. And then in the eighties, he had a doctor. Take, what's that called? Conserv- conservative ship? Yeah. Yeah. Like what happened like with Britney Spears? Conservatorship. Right. Similar to Britney Spears' thing. And so he has every bit of say in what happens to Brian Wilson's life. The doctor does. The doctor. That's... A true story. Uncomfortable. For a long time, too. For well over a decade, he was in control of his money. He was in control of where he went and what he did and what he ate, what kind of medication he took and when he took the medication. And he was clearly over drugging him yeah to like a scary degree Ooh, and he, he was really abusive to him too he's really shitty and yell at him and he's in prison now right no <sighs> no he died um, okay but she <laughs> okay <laughs> she helps him walk away from the situation okay. and find yeah. the kind of freedom anyway it's a, it's a very complicated story so um, it's a kind of like a documentary style yeah like a biopic yeah like kind of almost famous yeah not documentary but yeah yeah biopic cool and it it goes back to the 60s when the beach boys were clearly at the top of their game and it's incredible i mean i it's really cool because i i've been just obsessed with the beach boys again for some reason because i i'm me and i just did like a total deep dive on the history of this band and then that led to this movie but yeah, check it out. Cool. It's I definitely yeah. will. Love and Mercy. Love and Mercy. The Beach Boys are one of the weirdest, most influential bands really ever. I mean, Beatles clearly like created the the blueprint for how to be in a band, mm-hmm. how to be in a rock band and tour and that whole thing. Beach Boys made it okay to be haunting but poppy. Uh-huh. I mean, Pet Sounds is one of the most... There's like horror movie sounds with it's... theremins and really weird music, and the the harmonies are so bizarre. And again, just, it's like haunting and and poppy. Somehow. One of the best uh, albums of all time. Of all time. Of all time. And at the time, it was a commercial flop. He had a lot of criticism for how he wrote and arranged the record. Hmm. The band was on the road for most of the time. He didn't want to tour anymore. Because he was really struggling mentally, mm-hmm. and he just wanted all he wanted to do was just be home and make music. Yeah. So as a band, which the Beach Boys is three brothers, Brian, Carl, and something Wilson, I forget his name. Me too. And then their cousin Mike Love, and then their friend is the drummer. Okay. So anyway. Yeah, I th- I knew Mike Love and yeah. Brian Wilson. I, three yeah. three brothers, a cousin, and their best friend that they all grew up with. Mm-hmm. So they literally grew up like singing at each other's homes during Christmas time with their parents. You know, everyone sings in their family mm-hmm. kind of vibe. Um, and anyway, so they, they're like, yeah, we'll go out on the road and, and make money doing that. But you write all the songs anyway. Right. So just stay home. And <laughs> he basically hired studio music- musicians and tracked most of the composition of the record like all the instruments so when the the brothers came back they just sang on the record and that was pet sounds that's nuts pretty crazy yeah so they they weren't very happy about it but it turned out to be one of the best records they ever put out wow Mm -hmm. love it well i will definitely watch that probably tonight a lot of misconceptions about the beach boys they're called the beach boys i know so it's like fun surfer sunny music and it was when they first started out right very corny canned mm-hmm. you know 
And their dad was a part of those early years, and then he fucked them over and sold all their publishing right at the time. James died so hard inside when that happened in the movie. He's like, oh, God. He sold their publishing. (laughs) For like 180,000 or something. It was was a little more. It was like 750,000, but in the 60s. And Uh, imagine all. Oh, my God. Think of how many times you've heard those songs over the years. No kidding. He sold their entire publishing catalog. Wow. Crazy. I don't Crazy. like that at all. I hope to God they got lawyers later in life and amended that. Anyway. My animal hero of the week is a very famous Instagram cat named Seamus, the Scottish Fold. I love him, sh- Scottish Fold. I'm sure you all know him. You've seen him. He's just amazing, and he reminds me so much of Vincent, yes, the cat, because he's got Scottish fold ears, and Vincent the cat has his has ears chopped ears off, chopped off from when he was a baby. Yeah. He really face. does look like him. He's just a little gremlin, and he's very um, full of it, and I love him, and I'll post pictures of him, and if you just want someone to brighten your day, follow Seamus the Scottish fold. He looks real cool. He's great. He's so good. Now I'm really wondering if Vincent's a Scottish fold. (laughs) Right. Just had his ears chopped off, so you can't really tell. Do you think these internet cats know they're famous? Oh, oh, Seamus. He knows. He knows. He knows. knows. You think so? He. Look at his face. English. You think he has a concept of the internet? What language do you think he speaks? Not our language. (laughs) He's eating pizza. We argue about this all the time. I'm like, why would. Why would they know English? Because no one, that's what they were raised around. They know five words. They know their name, versions of their nickname, and food and stuff. I think Midge only knows sounds. Yeah, they know the she tones. Knows pitches. Yeah, like, yeah. you're a stupid cat, aren't you? Hi, Pooh. Hi, Pooh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, look at him. Yeah, he's really cute. I've never seen him before. He's pretty oh. cool. So, I'll follow him. What's his handle? Seamus underscore the underscore Scottish underscore fold. Okay. Too many underscores. Yeah. It's just so it's like spaces. Seamus the Scottish fold. Sure. All right. I think we did it. Let's let these people go. Thanks for listening to another episode of Disney Dependent. See See you you real real soon. soon. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Disney Dependent. And you can send us an email at disneydependent at gmail.com. This podcast is produced by Producer Ash. The logo is by Ryan Hatch, and you can find him at WRHatch on Instagram. The music is by Ryan Knowles, and you can find him at Ryan Allen Knowles on Instagram. This show is mixed and edited by Deanna Chapman. You can find Deanna at Deanna underscore Chapman. And this has been a Team Dynamite Goat production. All right. Well, thank you for listening to the show and we'll be back here next week.